Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life podcast. This is episode 141, and I'm here with, with Dr. Peter Bernstein. Peter, and today we want to touch on several several ideas, several issues, several topics about caregiving, our usual type of coverage, what the kinds of things we like to help support everyone through. Uh, the first one is another, uh, another uh, something that Peter has read in the book we talked about last time, Faith Still Moves Mountains by Harris Faulkner. Good book. Uh, another is uh, Bruce Willis and the recent announcement that he has frontotemporal dementia and mm -hmm. that he wants people to learn about it, his yeah. family's behind him, and he will need caregiving. And then our last uh, for today is just kind of an update on all the things we've been seeing lately and the challenge that people face who come to caregiving uh, from their heart, from their family, for whatever reason, and don't always know what's going to be involved and what they're getting into. Right. And you know, we're coming to this from a different reality than most people. We live in an extraordinary reality. Um, the underbelly of life, you know, where there really is a lot of uh, difficulties going on, where people are really struggling and are calling in our life, is to be there for them and offer them an expertise and a support and encouragement um, and skills um, that we take for granted, to be honest with you, because we just live it and we work in it all the time. But what I've been realizing, um, too, and we know you noticed when we, she introduced me as Dr. Peter Bernstein, she said, Peter, well, I want to be out there as Peter, as a fellow human being. Mm -hmm. And you know, that has come to me through an awful lot of struggles and uh, difficulties in my life that has stripped me to my soul and made me realize what my fellow man is going through and that I'm just the same as anybody else. And I have a certain specialty, a certain degree of skill that I can offer, so do other people. And I just follow that up. And the more I do, the more I just become human. And uh, I like it a lot better. And interestingly, the effect that that's having on most people, and I'm not doing it deliberately, is so many people out there are so open with me about what their life is like and what they're going through. And I'm not one of these people that goes around hemorrhaging my pain and my emotionality to people. I don't. It's just they feel comfortable. And they begin to share, as a fellow human being, what's going on in their lives. And what, they're, what they've been introduced to and what they've been drawn into, not by choice most of the time, is this extraordinary reality. They've learned, they've had to become caregivers. They've lost their loved ones. They've faced difficulties they never wanted to anticipate. Um, I've, I've heard and seen so much uh, that wasn't expected, other things that have been expected, but the toll that it's taking is heartbreaking. And when I watch it, and I know I talked to Jenny and our staff about it, we know what to do and what needs to be done. I don't go out there as a clinician unless I'm called to be that. But what I really see is there's a, a need to be taught how to deal with very extraordinarily difficult circumstances. We've had an, a lot of exposure in the last couple of years to different kinds of dementia, 
which is probably one of the cruelest diseases. That's what Bruce Willis is facing so now, cruel, yeah. and his family is learning to deal with it. And that's a particularly um, that is a particularly devastating version of dementia. It is, know. and it's usually, and it's also very common. I didn't realize that for people under sixty, it is the most common form of dementia. And we've seen people that come to us, and they have a. I don't see it as, as always so cut and dry, though because there's overlaps of different forms of it. That's true. And that's what we've seen too. It's not, they're making it sound very cut and dry. Mm -hmm. Very rarely is it like that. It's just one type. Yeah, yeah. They, they overlap. But this is one that involves aphasia where they can't talk, they can't understand words anymore. They, they, there can be behavioral changes mm -hmm. that are... Balanced. That are... It's very, we actually have people that come here that are suffering from it, but I think that that's Another form, it is, I think it's frontal tem temporal, but I also think it's uh, Louis body, I, I too. Mm -hmm. So, and I've seen the aphasia, and it's, it's heartbreaking because it's so frustrating. They can't find their words or they can't understand what people are saying. We lost one of my very good friends, it was a couple of years ago, an admiral in Navy SEALs, Ray Smith, who had a, developed a form of aphasia. Very sharp guy, very decent, good man. I will always hold him up very high as far as the quality of a human being he was and the leadership and he developed it's it's a very cruel disease it it, it cuts across all lines of life mm -hmm. sometimes it's a hereditary type of thing and other things at times it isn't uh, Admiral Ray was one of the people who gave uh, his his approval to Peter's book Trauma Healing the Hidden Epidemic mm -hmm. and he wrote a recommendation in it it was something that he thought was a valuable informative piece of work. It took me a convincing him that Navy SEALs have post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> he wasn't quite open to it. Yeah. And I said, are you kidding me? With the ones we're seeing, they all suffer. And after about three years, he said, I think almost everybody around here, I said, there you go, Ray. Now you got it. And yeah. look at what they do. Unfortunately. And look at what they go through. So since that time, there's been a, a great evolution as far as recognition and, and, and approaches to and treatment. So, uh, but Ray was at the, I think he was I think at the he forefront. he was at the forefront too. Yeah, he's helped, yeah. he helped us an awful lot. He was lot. open to looking at this issue. And he trusted me, and I yeah. trusted him too. But anyway. Um, so Bruce Willis's family is looking at how to care for him, just as the people you meet and talk to are facing these challenges of how to care for people. And like you said, uh, this is where we've lived, uh, you've lived for your whole career in some ways. Yeah, I have. What Most. kinds of things should people be on the lookout for or aware of that might surprise them as they start to take on a caregiving role? How exhausting it can get and how depleting. And you can go in with the best intentions in the world. And many people really do. They love the person, they care. But after a while, there is a depletion because you're not only giving a lot, you're also absorbing a lot of energy that is, uh, you're being, it's being drawn out of you um, by them, but also you're, you're being confronted with their illness and their sickness, and you're absorbing that energy. Most caregivers don't pay attention to the, f the effect of all of this until they're emotionally exhausted or when they burn out, which is they don't want to do it anymore. That's the end. Um, we prevent that um, as much as we can. We believe it needs, it is preventable, 
But we also see people don't know that, and they don't have their finger on the resources that we do. So we, we want to get out there. That's one of the reasons these podcasts are going out there. We want people to know there are answers, there is support, there is knowledge and skill and mentoring that you need. Yes. Um, we, we learned to build uh, uh, a design for caregiving um, that's a team approach, and it's much healthier, and we support each other. Um, I think the team approach is one of the very most foremost keys to what we are sharing with people and what we learned as caregivers is how essential being part of a team, somehow putting together a team, how essential that is. Well, it developed just a natural evolution because it wasn't going on, or it still isn't, but we, we know it works. Right. The hospice teams used to tell us, and I had no idea what they were talking about, what an exquisite model of, of caring it was. I didn't know what that truly meant. Now I do. Um, and they were right. We find that it takes an awful lot of support for many, many reasons. But if you're a caregiver, the best of the caregivers, one of the other things that does happen is it brings up your own uh, pain, your own history, and it's in your body, it's in your unconscious, and it's get, it gets triggered. We've seen it over and over and over again. And when that happens, caregivers need support. They need somebody, they need a team there, they need people to help them through it so they don't begin to contaminate their work. They may get angry and frustrated. Um, they may go into denial. Denial is very common. Yeah, they can't handle the emotions and the feelings and the pain and so they just shut down. And, and that causes a lot of problems because these, this, these kinds of illnesses they do throw up red flags as they evolve as far as what needs to be done. And there's things that you can do. Um, although it's 100% terminal over time, there are things along the way that you can do to slow down the process, to recognize when there's physical and medical problems that need to be addressed. What we've found, and I think this is unfortunate, that a lot of the caregivers and family members aren't aware of it and they don't want to be even if it's brought to their attention. The issue of denial is so strong that when it comes up, they don't want to look at it, they don't even want to hear it. And they can be told directly, this needs to be addressed before it turns into something a critical, crisis. a crisis. Right. We run into many, many circumstances where nothing is done until the crisis hits. Until it hits. And yet red flags were going up all along the way. And this is a, a process of deterioration, these diseases are so cruel, that more and more these things emerge. There are things that you can't stop, and those crises come with the, you can't anticipate them, they come so quickly. But there are many others that you can see the, the red flags and the warnings, and there are things to be done. And what we're seeing is denial is a real barrier to effective action. I think too one one of the things that and and you can recognize we all recognize this is when it when the person who is ill critically ill is your spouse it's especially hard to stay on top of what needs to happen and you need even more support when it's your spouse it is harder it, it is and I, I certainly went through it myself but you know I I'm a different type of person than a lot of people because I've been trained. I've been brought up to be an action-oriented person most of my life and most of my training. So when that came up, it's, you know, it's gut-wrenching and it's heartbreaking, but I always uh, 
go to the action that needs to take place right then and there to get the thing, get the problem addressed. And I've always been the person that uses initiative and whatever has to be done, I will find an answer. Not everyone is like that, and I wish they were in some ways. Not that I'm blowing my own horn. You know, I'm telling you, it really helps. I would say that's another key. We talked first about the key of using a team. Mm -hmm. And I think another key that we're talking about today is to be action-oriented and deal with things as they come up, as they present themselves before you have a crisis. Absolutely. I've always been one to, to be able to do that. I did it with my wife. And, you know, I used to go to support groups of whatever it took, um, but we've been running our own for years before that, and we had pretty top-quality efforts, but this was for me. And when I'd go, I was appalled. Not that there weren't good people or good-intentioned people running it most of the time, but it, 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 I believe that the people going through these things deserve the gold standard approach, the best, not nickel and diming them. And that's what I see a lot of organizations, unfortunately, do. I was part of those. And yet I needed to be there. I wanted to hear and learn what was going on and what other people were going through. I learned an awful lot. One of the things that I did see um, was that I was different in the sense of when I'd see something, I knew it had to be acted on. So um, that was the way we developed a team concept, to be honest with you. I saw the need and I addressed it. I saw the financial issues come up. And believe me, they're very, they were very, very costly. And I'm, <laughs> I'm paying the, the price of those now, but I have no regrets because that's what needed to be done. Um, I realized more and more that most people aren't like that. They sink and they get very needy, needy themselves. And here come the emotions that you talked about that get triggered in caregiving. The neediness, the hopelessness, the um, depression or... The rage can come up, the, and the fear, self, and self-pity too. All of those emotions can come right up. And we see it, and they are the enemy of good caregiving. They really are, and they're an enemy to the caregiver because it adds to their depletion. And we've seen, and this is a thing that really concerns us because we've seen it, caregivers over the age of 64... No, mm -hmm. six, I don't remember the age. So right about there, yeah. What is it? 65. 55? 65. They die sooner than the people, are t the chances are they're dying sooner. You know, after I went through it with my wife, <laughs> I understood that one from personal experience. I could see why. It's devastating. So the, what we, we try to teach people is how to preserve themselves while all of this is going on. And they, we all, when we're going through this, and they all, need support and guidance and direction and help. We are committed to it for the rest of our careers and lives to do this for folks that are going through a very important part of their lives. We also know that the, for some reason, the need for good caregivers is going, is blooming. It's not blooming is the word I don't like to it's use. Booming. Booming. Ooh. And the need is growing exponentially compared to most other careers. It's just, the need is getting that much greater. And more and more people are, are desirous. The, the, the care facilities can't get workers. This thing is getting to be a crisis in itself. And a lot of the caregivers don't get paid well enough for it. What they, they don't get paid what they deserve. adding to the difficulty of finding caregivers is that they're not recognized and compensated sufficiently to what 
they're doing, the, the very difficult And the hierarchy of the recognition yeah. should be the highest, because it's a very high quality, and yet they're on the bottom of the ladder. Yeah. They get paid that way, they're unfortunately treated that way many times. We've, we've been there to support caregivers that were taking a lot of abuse. And You've said, and we've said it many times, that being a caregiver is a calling. It's something that people do when they, because they recognize how much, how important it is uh, that they're called to do it, even though they may not be recognized or paid enough, but they've got it on their heart that this is something they want to do. And I just want to mention, in case you'd like to say something about it, is that, that story in Harris Faulkner's book about a young girl who did end up feeling a call on her heart yes, she did. to become a caregiver, and she sacrificed her life. She, was, uh, she, went, to, she went to Haiti. Now this was, uh, I she was from Miami, um, and she was, she was a, a dabbler, and she loved the sun and the beaches and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. So she wasn't like the tea. Huh? Yeah. And she something began to change in her that she wanted to help. And she, she felt a calling to help the orphans in Haiti. This was before the earthquake. Before the earthquake. And so she went, and her, her life changed. It morphed into something. She developed a tremendous sense of purpose and caring for them um, in their terrible state. And she began to develop a, a, a vision of, of building an orphanage and helping these kids. Um, she devoted her life to it, and then the earthquake hit. And I think she was with four or five other Americans from Florida. I don't, don't quote me on the number, I can't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. But they were all killed in the earthquake. The astounding thing that came out of this was the impact that, her name was Britt, had on, on other people, specifically her family. And her family, I take it, were well-to-do people. Her father was a construction, a builder, quite successful. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember what mom did, but they were, they were, they had yeah. a lot of clout. Yeah. And they took up her cause. Mm. And they went to Haiti, and they found a way in two years to build a very important or orphanage. It was her dream to have an orphanage built. And they were the ones that Even fulfilled the dream. Yeah. I, I want to read. Uh, uh, oh, 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 well, I wanted oh, oh, to read. I think it. I rescued it. Is okay. this the right page? I hope so. If it's not, there's underlining. Me. That's a, that's a well, giveaway. I do, I do that in all of But there's place. a lot of that. It says, My faith tells me that we're all put here on this earth to do good works. Whether we choose to do them or not, is up to us and this is this is talked about this is the parents speaking how we chose to deal with our daughter's death wasn't predetermined we had choices to make and we chose what we chose not just because of what Britt texted but because of what she wanted aligned with what we've believed all along God is love and if you love God you love his people you do whatever you can to help them you be of service. You use the skills and the tools that you've developed to not just help your own family, but the family of God and all those in need. I believe that. And when I read that, these people have had an integrity in their efforts. They weren't just church-going people on Sundays. And they followed through on their daughter's dream. And they did some incredible, they used their their connections in the community. Uh, it turned out that they were struggling with the, the corruption in Haiti. Mm, yeah. And um, Britt's brother was in, co I think, in college. Turned out that his roommate 
was the son of Hades' president. And they got the, and all of a sudden how things, God works. Yes, and, and all of a sudden the things they were struggling with came. All the barriers went away. Yes, <laughs> they got the door finished done. It's quite a story, it really. Is it's a good book, but I, I get a kick out of it because that's the way God works. And it may come through tragedy. It may come through struggle. Enormous tragedy. I, I got to say, the most meaningful changes in my life, and I've had plenty, has been in the time that I took care of my wife as she was deteriorating from uh, cerebrovascular dementia. And so many other people were touched by her as well. Not just when she was sick. She was an inspiring woman before. But it was during that time she showed such courage, and it gave me an opportunity to be a better man, and I always wanted to be a better man for her. But this gave me the opportunity to give when she couldn't give back. And it changed my life. And out of it came so much inspiration to do good things for others. It, it gave us the expertise, I'll tell you that, from personal experience. And we've even, part of this telegast, this podcast, is part of our nonprofit. And one of the programs that we're putting such an emphasis on, in fact, our producer is behind the f lines, is the, is the chairman of the board, yes. is called Lynn's Legacy. And we have a sensational board of people from the community that are on this thing. And we're raising the money and we're building the programs to help caregivers and families in need all over the community. It's a slow build, I've got to say. If it were up to me, I'd make it happen yesterday. Well, He's action-oriented. Yes, I am action-oriented, so but I don't always get doesn't my own. always happen I don't get enough. my own way all the time. But I'll tell you what, that was an inspiration from Lynn's sickness. These podcasts started as an inspiration during the time we were nursing and caring for Lynn, mostly in the last phases of her deterioration. Yeah. And I miss her and I love her. We were very close for 47 years. You know, one of the problems was, it seemed like it went by so fast. Yeah. When you really have a loving relationship, folks, it's never and long you, you're best friends and you really enjoy each other, and no matter what the struggles of life are, and we had plenty of them, it goes by so fast because we always loved each other and cared for each other. And I can tell you this, I cared for her to her last breath. And so many other people that worked on our team did too, and they mm -hmm. were inspired and Let's changed see. themselves. They also had to look at the condition of their own marriages and relationships. And a number of them didn't come out looking, don't look too good to this day. Um, that's how, what Lynn and I had, and I, I, I would say my love for Lynn showed plenty. But which, her courage and her love for me kept her going as long as she could. So we want to present that as there are good things that God can do through these terrible struggles and difficulties. And they're what I see, they're happening all around us. All we have to do is be receptive and open and, and, and heartfelt compassion, with heartfelt compassion. And you will hear the struggles that people are dealing with today. Thank That's you. what I want to convey. Thank you. And that is an essential message. And it's, it's one that we're going to continue to keep bringing to you time after time because we want to encourage and support Everyone out there, keep going. Find your calling. The Survivor's Guide to Life podcast is brought to you by Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 charity. 
which uh, relies on donations. And if you go to their website, sctraumatreatment.org, you'll be able to donate in support of our podcast, which is on our own YouTube channel and all the regular podcast outlets. Peter and I can be reached at 707-781-3335 or Jenny at BernsteinInstitute.com. Please give us any feedback or questions that you have, and we will respond. And all our best. And for you horse people out there, particularly you cutters, I'm one of you. He's coming. And that's how I get some my batteries recharged. So there are <laughs> we can use our horse life to recharge your batteries and still do so much good. And I hope you all, you folks do, uh, and will contribute and get involved. Because I know some of you can be extremely generous and heartfelt. I know many of you. Anyway, all my best, and I'll be out competing pretty soon. My newest cutting course, once he, I have a four-year-old, that once he behaves, I'll be out there. So uh, all our love and our best wishes and blessings to all of you. And uh, God bless you. Thank you.